the GovCon Secrets Podcast will take a deep dive into the government contracting space where you'll hear from a variety of expert guests on strategy, pricing, benefits, business tactics, and all this to save you a ton of money, time, energy, and effort. I'm your host, Jim Campbell, former Marine and CEO of Axum Fringe Solutions Group. My goal is to redefine the benefits world with a brutally honest view of how benefits, compliance, finance, and overall contracting strategy mixed with my years of experience and expertise can benefit you to deploy strategies to help your GovCon grow and win in the future, all the while without boring you to death. We're going to have fun. Let's start the show. And Andrea, you might not have been exposed to that yet, but Pat, I know you have, um, and you've seen it, you know, or actually heard about it through the halls, <laughs> right? Uh, but how frustrating is it from your standpoint now that you sit on this side of the fence, Pat, I'll start with you. The work that we do or the work that you see being done and how little is being focused on by the outside brokerage community. Yeah, no, and it's, um, and specifically in GovCon, because I, I see where, where they come from before they're with Axum um, and just the type of programs that are involved. Like it blew me away the first time I saw, I'll remove the three letter acronym that describes this company. But when I just saw the the programs that they had and how there were no prices on the sheet, it was literally, here's this shitty plan. And mind you, it's a $42,000 a year employee, right? Here's your $5,000 deductible plan and your $10,000 family deductible plan. And there was, there was no price listed. I was like, what does this cost? It was just all of your fringe benefit. Like, what does that mean? Like at this time I was barely knowing what a fringe rate was. And so I'm like, what is that? And I had to like figure out what the fringe rate was and calculate the, I'm like, really? They're paying like $750 a month for this shitty benefit that they can't even use. So yeah, just knowing where they come from and just how little actual work or guidance they were giving prior. And then realizing that we're doing everything on the back end. Like they're, we're providing all the communication, all of the Ben admin support, all the compliance support. And it's, it's, it's literally all they have is a relationship. It is literally all they're bringing to the table. Cause they weren't even doing, they weren't even doing cool stuff from the healthcare side, like actually trying to put together custom plans for folks. It was really just shopping shitty, fully insured looking products, right? Like just, yeah. they were doing so little. Well, and look, Axum's not, perfect right we've all we've we've we're a company we figure it out we have our bumps we have our bruises we have our warts like every company but altruistically our goal was like and still is and will always be we want to try to deliver the best benefit that your money can buy period and it's actual benefit it's not just the thing that you buy that's insurance right and there's there's that's a drastic difference i always look at it like what benefit are you getting anybody can sell insurance what benefit are you getting? How are we educating you to take those dollars further? And it, regardless of the type of industry you're in. So you see where they come from. You see the amount of work it takes to kind of unwind it. And then you see the person on the other end of the phone at the client. How frustrated are they? They just get introduced to us. They're just introduced. They're a new client, but they already start from a negative position because of that crap they've had to deal with. XYZ, they think we're just the same, right? They agreed that we'd be a lesser bag of crap, so to speak. And then we have to show like, no, we actually care. 
We're going to bring in people to do your open enrollment. We're going to sit down and talk to you. We're going to make sure that you have your cards, even though it's the end of the year and you held off on doing your open enrollment till late. We're going to have your digital cards. We're going to help people. We're going to answer the phone. But you deal with that person who's so frustrated because they've been getting crap for a decade or they've just been getting insurance for a decade. They haven't been getting a benefit. They've just been getting insurance, right? So now, Andrea, your experience seeing that after you saw the stuff that they had and what you want to build and deliver, what about the end deliverable to the client? Because look, contractors and brokers are going to see this and everybody knows the answer already, but they want somebody to say it, right? That's the thing. They, they're just waiting for it to be out in the open so we can cut through the bullshit. So from your experience, you saw the benefits that they had before us. You saw what we built for them, but now you're dealing with the, the deliverable, the end person. How has that experience been? Because it's typically starts off on a eh, not, not overly positive, right? Because they're used to the negative stuff in the industry. Yeah. It's been refreshing because, so again, this is kind of just where being patient goes a really long way. And I will say that that's what our team at Axum has a lot of is patience because the other part of what I've realized is right. There's the, there's the insurance side of it. And then there's this the government contracting side of it. And sometimes even the person you're talking with doesn't even understand all of it. So they're trying to put the pieces together because they've never had somebody to help them put the pieces together. So I think, you know, not sugarcoating it, it, it can be, and is very overwhelming. And once you take the time or with especially these groups, we've taken the time and they've become to acknowledge that we are actually here to help and support them. And I think that's kind of the refreshing part that makes all of, you know, the headache of implementations and, you know, the 7,000 moving pieces, it brings it all together at the end of the day, because A, you know, they get it, they realize it and they, you know, start to, they do appreciate it. But even that, I'm just going to take it one step further, Jim, to the end user, because the members are who I think have seen the, the groups that I've been working on over the past three months. The thankfulness and appreciation from the members is really where the, the change is. And that comes back to the employer and that puts a smile on their face. And just to kind of like reiterate what Pat had you know mentioned earlier, going from Again, a f whether you have a co-pay or not, somebody who makes $42,000 a year is never going to be able to be okay with a $5,000 deductible. I don't care if you give them $1,000 of HRA benefit. Like they just actually, if something happens, how do you sleep at night? Because that person now is going to go into bankruptcy and a little bit of an exaggeration, but depending on what happens, that could be the case. You know, they go into collections, it becomes an uncomfortable situation or they're paying, you know, $100 to you know, a medical facility for the next 10 years, but being able to deliver a benefit that these employees specifically can use and appreciate, and they feel like somebody's actually been listening has been, I would say the part of what makes everything all worth it in the end. That's awesome. Yeah. And so Pat and I have had many, 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 many conversations about this, right? So the deliverable is that the end person, the, the member, a family member, whomever, they actually have a benefit right? Like they, and they, and they understand it. The dollars are typically finite in our industry. 
right? We are, we, are, we know the, the fringe rates, but then you get to the IT client, clients, right? Clients, there is no health and welfare. They have money. Some of them are like looking for that badge on their card, right? This is the, this is the next evolution of the conversation because I know a lot of brokers are like, eh. They look for that badge, that logo on their card, right? The bucas in, in their massive companies. They, they supply insurance to the nation. That badge doesn't always necessarily help, right? Like you said, $5,000 deductible to a person that can't afford it. But what if you have the IT person that can't afford it? And they're just saying that badge, that logo, that logo on our side of the industry, we know a little bit different, right? We know how the claims are administered, how claims are paid, kind of the fraud, waste and abuse in the industry. From your experience, Pat, in educating these people, and how to reuse benefits. What do you think about the benefit literacy in our country, especially as it pertains to GovCon? Like the average person, what do you think their benefit literacy is from like a one to a 10, 10 being the best? Zero. Okay. And then in your experiences in their first year of working with us, do you think it gets better? Do you think it gets the same, it stays the same? Do you think that they're any more educated or aware of what their possibilities are? Yeah, no, I think they definitely are, especially if we get to, you know, put some of our custom solutions in. Like if we, if we get to, if we get to put a true care program in place or, or we get to go through the process we want to go through because we kind of force them to, but in a positive way, right? We, we actually have someone that sits down with them and explains their options. They start to know what things cost before they go, before they go see it and it, it opens their eyes to it's more than just the, you know, the Ralph Lauren on the polo, right? Like w- what is actually made? Like, what is this polo actually um, representing? Like, how does it actually fit and feel? And so uh, they can't help but figure it out. And it's just the craziness of healthcare. You say these things out loud um, and, and for people that don't live it every day, they can't believe that this is true, but we, we literally had an employee that has leukemia, Right like a mild form of leukemia, terrible situation, but they, they've been living with it. And this is, it's a form of leukemia that they can live with for a long period of time, as long as they're on the right prescription drugs. And, you know, we go back to what we told you about 5,000 and $10,000 deductibles. And this person was taking a drug called Gleevec and Gleevec cost $10,000 per month. So within the first month, they hit the deductible. The second month they're hitting their out of pocket for the year. But, you know, that that hits hard. You know, that's $10,000 a year for someone that's on leukemia and not making a whole lot of loot. And the company is then paying another $100,000 for the rest of the year because $10,000, $10,000, 10, like this is one drug for one person that makes $42,000 a year. Well, very simply, like because we have advocacy built into our programs, that employee we showed them the generic version of that drug that happens to cost $45 a month for the same solution. And that, that drug when offered through TrueCare is $0 to them. So it's, it's a, it was a generic $0 that cost them, saves them $10,000 a year out, out the gate, and then save the employer you know $100,000 throughout the year. This happens. And so you can't help but learn a little bit about the system especially for the high utilizers because they feel it and they're the ones that can afford it the least. Yeah. And and the funny thing is with all the things that are coming out, our LinkedIn networks collectively, the three of us, uh, all the people we know in the industry, like 
people are starting to preach this, right? Like there's really smart people out there, really good brokers, really good advisors, really smart doctors, really smart advocates for the industry that are talking about these things, right? They're, they're talking about why transparency is so important, why understanding your options is important, why you want to look at deductibles in HRAs and HSAs and the efficacy of them uh, for your employees, as opposed to just selling something that you can quote unquote afford. I think the noise in the industry has gotten loud enough, though, the average person starting to pay attention, right? There's a new RX solution every day. There's a new benefit out there every day. There's a new provider every day. I think that's good, right? I personally think it's great that a lot of people are sharing this information. What I don't think is good is a lot of people are still stuck in the insurance industry of how they're going to make money only on the conglomeration of premium. How many clients can I get paying for this thing and how much money can I make by hopefully it working, not proving it works. So we go down this road now of vendors, right? We talked about agencies. We talked about brokers getting back to the end client. Let's get to vendors. And I know, Andrea, you probably don't invest as much time as Pat and I do with vendors. But from your standpoint, being a broker that's got to go out there and vet all of these vendors from your past life till now, what was your experience, right? Like you, you heard about a vendor or you heard about a solution. What would you go do to learn more about that solution or that part of the industry? So I love this question because I, I do have a very, like, I, I do really enjoy vendors and a lot of the products and a lot of the things that people are trying to do. My experience slash advice is going to be that you can't chase the next shiny thing. You can't chase it and you have to learn about it. You have to take the time to talk to people, to ask the right questions and expand the network, right? And you can't be afraid to talk to these other vendors about who's your direct competitor. And you have to be transparent because every person is going to be a salesperson and it is your responsibility as a consultant to get to the nitty gritty of what is actually going to work. And, you know, I can, I'm going to use the example of building the farm because a lot of vendors are all going to have niche and boutique products. And I will tell you the ones that are going to do their job the best are probably because they're focusing on something very specific. That's right. Yep. So if you're going to, you know, put together the best farm, you have to find the right solutions that are going to work and partner together to, you know, keep that farm going, so to say. And again, that is time spent. And I'm just going to, if you're not willing to put that time in, then you got to find somebody else who is because the solutions are going to keep coming. The new vendors, the new shiny objects, they're going to keep popping up. And, you know, you're going to find the ones that you like, but you can't be afraid to beat them up and uncover all of the bad that can happen too. Like, It's your job to understand the good and the bad and what you're signing or what you're pitching to clients. Again, pitching the next shiny thing because, you know, Hinge Health, great product, great solution, right? But it's like one major employer puts it in. Now everybody thinks it's a fit for everybody. No. Right. These solutions are custom. And again, you you just got, you got to do your homework. So you get the HR person at the client, right? And they have zero time. You've seen this now. They, like, they're doing five jobs. Nobody at a government contractor talks internally, just like kind of like an agency, right? So <laughs> you've got 
all these people doing jobs. You got the CFO, you got HR, you got contracts, you've got finance, you got all these people. And then you got the C-level. My goal was and is for that group that we would be the hub of the spoke and kind of be able to deliver information out, right? And just kind of in as far as the the HR benefits world, we could be that hub of the spoke, right? We could provide the technology, not rely on another resource to do that. And we want to do that for the brokers as well, to bring that broker into that hub, right? And, and, and have them part of the solution. But like you said, there's so many shiny objects out there. How does an HR director, you know, really get clear to, to what works? Because I felt, and I still feel that this industry is going to be trial and error for the next decade until the transparency is so evident that you're, you know, you've got all your costs in front of you. You've measured cost and quality with every instant provider right on your phone. Like until it becomes self-evident and it's so easy to use, let's say a decade down the road or whatever, I feel that it's going to be a lot of trial and error because a lot of people are going to try to be building solutions to make money. How does an HR director get clear? What do you guys think about that? Just to get a clear sense of this is actually going to work for our company. I can take it back to the CFO. I can take it back to the CEO. I can look the other employees in the face and know we did our very best for them. I'll take my first thought and then I'll toss it over to Pat. But my first thought is you have to be a trusted advisor to them. If as a broker, you think you have a lot of people reaching out to you, multiply that by a hundred, right? And specifically an HR person has a hundred brokers reaching out to them a day accompanied by every point solution that's reaching out to you, the broker, because they want to be in that. If the HR person sees something shiny come across their inbox and it catches their attention, if they go and research it on their own, A, they don't trust you, the broker, like the consultant, but B, you as the consultant should be bringing the good solutions to them so they don't feel as if they're overwhelmed or they, ha- they have to be on the lookout for what is going to be the best option for their, for their programs. Yep. And I'll toss it to Pat with extra commentary, but that's my initial thought on it. Yeah, if I, if I had to sum it down to one thing, I would say follow the money. If, I, if I'm an HR director, especially because they have to now, with compensation disclosure requirements. I was about to say, go down that rabbit hole. Why do they have to now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they, they have to, to know how their company, like how their vendors inside of their healthcare plan are making money off of their plan. And so if I'm, if I'm that HR director, there are so many things like, how do I save money? How do I do this? I think you just start with, what do I have? Like lay out the tools that you have in front of you and say, okay, I have this health insurance company. I have this broker. I have this PBM, I have this advocacy solution, I use this dental insurance provider. Okay, what do I pay them? How much do they make off of me? Start very simply right there. And once you start looking at it and realizing you maybe can't answer that question fully, you know you got to start in that spot and focus there because that's where this whole industry gets, you know, gets dirty, quite frankly. And so if I'm an HR director, that's the that's the one thing I'm focusing on right now. I want to understand how people make money off of me. I'm going to start there. I can figure this out. And one by one, I can make my my program better for my employees. That's right. Yep. So I, I've done some math around this. Shocking. Um, <laughs> if you take the average 100-person group, the actual commissions that's paid out for a 100-person group, take a wild guess. 
benefits are health, dental, vision, life, uh, short and long-term disability. Are we talking just benefits though? Just benefits. $55,000. Damn close. Andrea? I was going to say between 50 and 60, depending on the carrier. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually 46,000. Okay. Now this is the crazy part about that. A broker sells a client business or uh, benefits. They get paid 46 grand for that group over the year. How many individual contacts do you think that broker has amongst 100 employees and their dependents throughout 12 months? And this is, this is an average. This is actually provided in a number of magazines. And I just took the mean of those magazines. How many contacts do you think are received by that broker for that 100-person group in a year? You take 100 employees plus their dependents. I'm going to go with 10, and then I'm going to go with 15 cocktails. <laughs> Andrea, what do you think? You're talking about the broker's interactions, too. Yeah, yeah, the service, like the service to the HR and 100 employees and their dependents. How many contacts do you think the average 100-person group drives? Isn't that, again, what it should be? Or um, throughout the course of the year, I would say the average, I'm hoping it's at least 20. Okay. Well, it's much higher than, than, than both of you thought. Okay. It's actually over 40. Okay. It's like 41, right? 41 contacts. So for 100 people and all their dependents and HR, the average number of contract. So they're charging roughly $1,000 per contact. That's a money phone right there. Check this out. How long does the average contact last? I've gone down this rabbit hole. I'm justifying yeah, it. Yeah, goodness gracious. Yeah. Um, a minute and 30 seconds. No. Because you're including meetings, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, if you, again, if you figure they should be meeting like four times a year. Right. If you meet four times a year, it's at least an hour. They're definitely not. I can tell you that. Well, again, that's probably, you know, you should be yeah. having at least like four formal, like review discussions, you know. Um, okay. So obviously that tells me it's a pretty low amount of time, 10 minutes. <laughs> little more, little more. 18 minutes is the collective mean of that contact. So $1,000 for 18 minutes. That's the average they're getting paid. To sell. And then get this. This is the this is the trick of it all. They have the vendors that they put in place, put together the answers and the solutions for them. So they're actually just a conduit to sell and to and remediate information back to the client. That costs a thousand dollars for 18 minutes on average across the country for a hundred person group. Right? So if you tell me that this business isn't wrought with too much fluff and crap, I'll tell you you're wrong. Now, I'm gonna take this one step further. The average Axum partnership, because I have to do this, I have to justify this in my head, what we charge. If we have compliance and benefits with a client, okay, for that same 100 person group, our income is right on average. It's like 47.5, so we're right on, but we're doing benefits and compliance for that same 100 person group. Our average contacts with that group for the year, now 12 months, including meetings, is 73. So it's almost double the national average. That's for compliance and benefits. So we're doing two times, three times, four times the work. 
and providing technology. And we don't want anybody calling outside of us. We want to do the solution in-house. So that's the connectivity to the carrier. It's all done here. Our average resource on what we make for a client, if you do the math, is 50% less than a broker that's only selling benefits. So if you take this and you extrapolate out, not saying we're saints and all this other stuff, I'm trying to prove a point. You can still make money, do more, be more, provide more, and it, you remove the sale, right? Because now, now you're actually doing things. There's not just a conduit of information. The reason I bring all this up is now going back to that compensation piece that Pat was talking about. Have you justified what you get paid? And to Pat's point, if a HR person just did a simple one-hour review of compensation, I'm willing to bet with that information, they could say, you're going to make this. I'm asking for this. How many brokers are willing that you guys know, and be honest, how many brokers that you know are willing now to say, holy crap, I either have to do two times more for the same amount of money or I have to take 50% less for the same amount of work. How many brokers or agencies, and again, you guys both came from big agencies, so how many agencies are going to be willing to take that on? And be honest. I, I would, I'll, I'll go first, Andrew. I, I'd say none of them because, quite frankly, they already feel like they're underpaid and overworked, especially at the, the worker B level. That's where they feel, like they're stretched way too thin already. No, I, would, I mean, I would agree that it's probably going to be very, very few. And I mean, I think I think the agencies that are going to make it out of all of this in the end are already adapting again. They're adding in other resources, other options, you know, people and culture, you know, they're kind of changing their whole motto and perspective to try and fit in to justify what these costs are, especially with a lot of the transparency regulations that are coming out. Yeah, we've seen some of the national firms have even changed names, right? They don't take commissions anymore. It's all fee-based. Mm -hmm. And kudos, but you got to go back through and do all that work again and justify what you were getting paid. Or you have to look at somebody and say, hey, new name, transparent income, it's less. Am I still getting the same thing? Yeah, 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 you're getting the same thing, just less. <laughs> you're going to pay us this much now. I, I have a strong belief that our industry will see a massive change because those HR people, and again, getting back to this whole thing, the HR people, the CFOs, the CEOs are now empowered by the data that they actually have that sheet of saying, we're paying X. I don't care about a relationship. I, I shouldn't have to pay you to be my friend, right? Are you delivering for the amount of money I'm paying? Are you delivering this? And they pull out the laundry list and say, I need these things done. Are you willing to do all this for this, this amount of money? I think the benefits brokerage world is going to change. But in GovCon, whew, I think it's going to be crazy. Because I think now, especially because they're, they're defined by limited dollars in GovCon, right? They don't have arbitrary, massive profitability. And they just money to throw around willy-nilly. They're really regulated by their bid rates and their structures and how much they can put out there. GovCons have a chance to really take the reins and, and come back and make their contracts very profitable. And it all comes from that fringe line. It all comes down from their partnerships. And I think that that's something that's exciting for us, at least. There's exciting for the industry as it pertains to 
GovCon. Absolutely. But, you know, this was kind of deep. I kind of threw it at you guys left and right. Um, I think we do it again in another six months. We kind of come back. Andrea will have a year in. She'll be able to say she'll have battle scars, right? She's going to like have a tooth missing randomly or something. <laughs> like, she's going to be stressed out from the industry. But I think in all, the industry, it gives you so many looks at different things. Technology, administration, benefits as a whole, proper consulting, proper financial planning, uh, awareness around compliance, all those things combined. And we have to deliver, you know, and that's why I think I love staying in GovCon solely because it just gives us so many looks at so many different things that we can be really a, a multi-tool to companies all over. And it's not just that benefit advisor and we can be the multi-tool to benefit advisors, right? Really help them do the right thing for their clients. But uh, with that being said, any parting shots, Andrea? No, thanks for having me. I think I will echo one thing. I'm, I'm excited for what and how things are going to look six months from now. There's a lot of exciting things happening. There's a lot of exciting stir. And the conference in April is going to be absolutely fantastic. And six months from now, there's going to be some really great things to talk about. And the, that, again, part of this too, you're going to learn more the more that you're experienced years of tenure. It does make a difference how much you're submerging learning. Um, yeah, I appreciate you having me. And again, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll be fun. Pat, any parting shots? What I was just thinking about that's really important that I've actually never even said out loud with Axum. In our world, 401k and benefits, like the insurance side of benefits, are typically two different things. And employees like only like the 401k. They don't like any of the other stuff, really. And in GovCon, if you don't have an organization that can do both, you just can't possibly do the right job for your employees. And so that the the thing that we have at Axum where we can do both sides of the game is a differentiator. And, um, you know, for the people, for the brokers or GovCon's listening to that, if you're not working with someone that, that, that can do both, your benefit package isn't set up right. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we'll continue to learn lessons, right? Hopefully we'll continue to teach some lessons. We'll get partners that want to, continue to learn and grow with us. But, um, you know, I always, I think it's fun because you guys know there's no shots that you can't take here. I, I'll take all the bullets. I don't care what people say. Uh, I want people to know the real skinny. So that's why we do this. I want them to know the ins and outs. Benefits is one part of GovCon, obviously, right? Like we're not experts in bid and proposal or contract capture. That's not where we're experts. But we have those people on this podcast for a reason have you guys on this podcast because brokers don't want to hear from me, right? I'm like the old jaded guy in GovCon now that they're like, oh, Jim, blah, blah, blah. But they want to hear from you guys because you're fresh in it every day. You're dealing with it from the brokerage standpoint and working with brokers to help them make sure that they have the right path. So I really appreciate you guys doing this. I thought it was fun. And I think, again, we pick it up, do another episode in like six months after uh, all the brokers out there you know, start throwing darts and talking shit on you. <laughs> then you guys can sit in my seat. But, you know, I think like Andrea said, we're going to see a lot of progress. We're going to see a lot of capabilities. We're going to see a lot of things come down the pipe where we're going to be able to just have a great, another great conversation in six months. Sounds good. For sure, man. No, I enjoyed it, brother. Great guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.